Um, so to our final guest, Clayton Littlewood um, was born in Skegness, um, which is an accident of birth. Um, he ran off to Soho <laughs> as soon as he could, wise him. He's been here more or less ever since. Um, you may remember his Soho Stories column in the London paper. You may remember the London paper. Um, uh, he wrote that in a little red chair just across the way. Um, at Dirty White Boy. Now the store has gone, but the store lives on in the book, and it, which is also a play, and the follow-up, Goodbye to Soho. So far, so Isherwood. So gossipy, heartwarming, Hogarthian and dirty, please welcome Clayton Littlewood. Hello, I'm Clayton. Um, I'm going to read three stories to you, three st short stories, about three very different Soho characters. And I kind of think that these characters will give you uh, a nice impression of the people that we met while we were here. Uh, just to quickly introduce it, my partner and I had a shop on Old Compton Street called Dirty White Boy, uh, on the corner of Old Compton Street and Dean Street, just below a rather popular brothel. So there were quite a few stories that um, I could delve into a bit later. But the first story I want to do, uh, I want my partner to help me do it, because he's going to do one of the voices, if that's okay. And this is him, by the way. <laughs> Hello. Right, now I wrote these two books, they're, they're diaries, so they were written as diary entries and it started off as a blog, so these books are, are diary memoirs, so um, here we go. January the 18th, 2008, Wolfie. A rather stressed looking man with a mop of unruly black hair, wearing an excessively tight black t-shirt, bursts into the shop and starts charging around the rails. I need clothes. I like plain, fitted, black. Has to be black, but plain and fitted. Do you have anything? He rushes towards the counter. So, do you have my size in black? Plain, fitted, but plain for me in my size? Uh, well, we... Um... Yes, but I want plain. It has to be plain, but very fitted. Look at my body. <laughs> Well, we do, but... Um, Plain, black, and fitted? <laughs> yes? You have it? Yes? <laughs> Working in a shop in Soho, you get to meet a variety of characters. Not all of them sane. But that's part of Soho's charm, though it can make selling clothes a bit problematic. I am from Copenhagen. The man said... <laughs> he's, actually from, he's actually from America, so that's quite good. No, I am from Havana, idiot. Uh, <laughs> How long have we been married? Oh my okay, again, I am from Copenhagen. Divorce at the end of tonight. Eight happy, eight years, two happy ones. <laughs> I'm from Copenhagen. The, the man says, extending his hand. He pulls it back a second later, just as I'm about to shake. And I have very rich family, so I do not need to work, but I do work. I am caterer. Do you think I make good caterer? I have boyfriends. We keep arguing. I do not think he loves me. And it is my 40th birthday in June. He is going to spoil my birthday if he does not love me. He looks across at Jorge. Will you come to my birthday party? It's going to be a dinner party in June. I am cooking. He looks, he looks back at me again. You are both invited, yes. Dinner party, dinner party! 
I'm at a loss now, so I signal to Jorge, who's much more experienced in dealing with these situations. He walks confidently over. Hi, I'm Jorge. <laughs> dinner party, dinner party! <laughs> uh, yeah, so... I am Wolfie, but I need black, plain, and it has to be fitted. Well, we have black, plain, and fitted. Jorge replies quickly but calmly. So are you looking for a jacket, a shirt, or a pair of trousers? Yes! He shouts, <laughs> and then he slams his hand down on the counter. That's exactly what I'm looking for! <laughs> then he rushes out of the shop uh, as fast as he came in, promising to be back very soon. <laughs> Now, if any of you are a regular to Soho, you will probably recognise this next character. February the 3rd, 2008. Pam's Fags. 11am. Mm. <laughs> I'm pushing up the grates to the shop, getting ready to open up. There's a tap on my back. I turn to find Pam looking up at me, grinning inanely. Pam is the local homeless celebrity. And wherever I am in Soho, Pam is there too. If I'm walking past the coach and horses, Pam will step out of a doorway. Out of a doorway. If I'm having a coffee outside Cafe Nero, her radar will home in on me. If I'm collecting a burger at Ed's Diner, Pam will be standing outside with her hand out. Today she's dressed in her usual attire. Camouflage trousers, donkey jacket, barn owl, NHS glasses, sporting a number one haircut. You're going to be really proud of me, she says. Why's that, Pam? I've got seven pound in me pocket and I haven't been to the amusements all day. Is that where you've been spending all your money? Not all of it, she replies, shuffling nervously from foot to foot. Sometimes I have a dog bet. So all the money I've been giving you has been going on dog racing. No, she replies indignantly. I save seven pounds for me room for the night, and then anything over seven pounds goes on the dogs. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> she frowns as if I am. <laughs> anyway, I think, I, found, I think I'm over me gambling addiction now. Now it's just the beer and the fags. <laughs> well, I suppose one step at a time, Pam. And I've learned something about the fags. What's that? If you buy a pack of 20, you end up smoking 20. But if you only buy a pack of ten, you only smoke ten. <laughs> <laughs> so you only smoke ten. Now I smoke fifteen. <laughs> Fine, Pam. <laughs> now this last one is for uh, about a very different character. And um, I'm sure most people know who this is. March the 2nd, 2008. The dandy is coming. <laughs> I'm sitting on my little red chair, looking out onto Old Compton Street. All of a sudden, a face pops up in front of the window. A shock of coal black hair, white powdered cheeks, a fey flutter of painted fingernails. It's Sebastian. Sebastian Horsley lives on the next street, Mare Street. The house with a sign on the door that reads, This is not a brothel. There are no prostitutes at this address. Artist, writer and failed suicide, Sebastian is a Soho legend. When we first moved in, the locals would point at him and in hushed tones recount strange stories about this mysterious figure. He was a drug addict, heroin. He was a connoisseur of prostitutes. He'd slept with more than a thousand. 
He'd subjected himself to a crucifixion in the Philippines. He'd painted pictures of what he'd been through. It was like arriving in Transylvania and being warned about Dracula. Of course, Soho has always attracted the bohemian, the eccentric, and the dandy. Rimbold and Verlaine, Oscar Wilde, Quentin Crisp, they were all attracted by the lure of sex, Soho's cosmopolitan feel, and the touch of danger that lurked within. But now there was a new dandy in town. I first saw Sebastian back in February of 2006, but there was so much to write about back then, I was on a roll. So although I knew that one day he'd feature in my diary, the timing wasn't quite right. It was almost as if I was saving him, waiting for our stars to collide. And then one night, they did. I gazed out my window, and there he was, dressed as if from another age. And I thought, okay, here goes. And of course, Soho being the village that it is, eventually he got to hear about it. Dear Clayton, he wrote in response to my first email. I don't mind you referencing me at all, my dear. I would only mind if you did not reference me. My reputation is terrible, which comforts me a lot. But I do hope it doesn't harm yours. The important thing is that nothing reported about me is ever humdrum. And of course, I don't care what is written about me, so long as it isn't true. <laughs> With much love, Sebastian. We've been friends ever since. Today, he's wearing an inky black velvet three-piece suit, a white shirt with the longest pointed collars you've ever seen, the double cuffs adorned with a Domonte, and a pair of stout black calf high-altitude platforms. <laughs> he sways toward me, across the shop floor, arms outstretched. Darling, I've just heard that you won't be coming to New York for my book launch. Sebastian, I'm sorry, I would love to, but is it too expensive? Uh, well, uh, can't you walk, you lazy bastard? <laughs> <laughs> I have a group of Sohoites coming along, and I was rather hoping that I just can't afford it. The shop's not doing too well at the moment. Oh, you're not closing, are you? Oh, darling, tell me you're not closing. And he, he beseeches me. And he takes my hand and pulls me out of my seat and wraps his arm around me. Oh, you mustn't go, my darling. You're part of Soho now. No, we'll be fine, I reply, a touch unconvincingly. Anyway, tell me about your launch. I read the review in the New York Times, and you've got a whole page in the LA Times. They love you already. He covers his mouth with a, ha with a hand like a naughty schoolboy. Mm, my notori notoriety goes ahead of me like a leopard's bell in hell. <laughs> Maybe you'll do a Quentin and never return. Well, my dear, I've always felt American in my artificial heart. You see, we are all English at puberty, and then we die American. <laughs> I must look confused, because he adds, you see, in America, they love a loser who becomes a winner, as much as we love a winner who becomes a loser. <laughs> as St. Quentin once said, it is because of our hearts the English have shriveled hearts, the Americans plump, peachy, warm ones. He tells me about his trip and what he'll do when he gets there. It is not enough to conquer. One must know how to seduce. You see, strangers are just people you haven't fucked yet. <laughs> Enemies are just people you have failed to charm. Will you be staying in New York? I was rather hoping to go to L.A., 
I know everyone goes to New York, but LA appeals to me. I'll be misunderstood there. <laughs> Plus, I'd rather like to appear in a porn film. Do you think I have the legs? <laughs> and he pulls a trouser leg up to his knees. Then Jorge shouts from behind the counter, try do this, Sebastian, how are you going to pack your top hat? It's two feet tall. Darling, he shouts back, I shall wear it on the flight and arrive in style. And when I descend the steps of the plane, instead of announcing wild-like, I have nothing to declare but my genius, I shall announce Horsley-like, I have nothing to declare but my genitals. <laughs> my heinous genius penis. Bon mot voyage. <laughs> I love Sebastian. He is a star. And his visits are always an occasion. I admire his honesty, his intellect, his two fingers up at the world. Sebastian has made it the object of his life to become a work of art, just as Quentin Crisp did, and that takes courage. He languorously extends his slender snow-white fingers, his nails crowned with a gleaming crimson varnish, and entwines them with my own. His touch is marble cold and surprisingly surprisingly sensuous. Clayton, my darling, are you a Gemini? Yes, I am. Of course you are. All my friends are Geminis. They are the only ones who truly understand me. He looks me directly in the eye. But now, tell me about your book. How, if one may ask, is it going? I tell him it's finished. Then I have a thought. Would you write a quote for the back? His face lights up. Of course I would. I'd be honoured. I shall think of something suitably nasty while I'm away. And he giggles at the thought. Oh, Clayton, wouldn't it be fun if our books end up in the same remainder bin? <laughs> would, you would you prefer to be a top or a bottom? <laughs> he giggles again. Anyway, my darling, I really must be going. He gets as far as the doorway, then spins back around. Oh, I almost forgot. I got up at five o'clock this morning, and there outside my door was a video in a brown paper envelope. Oh, someone sent me a porno, I thought, and I immediately got my knob out. <laughs> but it was from you, and it was the naked civil servant, and the line you wrote, in case you want to brush up on some lines before you go. Oh, what a Gemini you are. Clayton, like a precious stone, your gorgeous personality derives its value from its scarcity. Goodbye, my darling. <laughs> we hug, kiss each other on the cheek, and I wish him luck, wondering what they'll make of him in America, wondering if he'll ever return. Teenager, then was quite difficult because this was back in the 70s. 
I'm sure it's not that much better. No, it's not that much better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you really did feel like the only one in the village, the only gay in the village. And I remember there was this one bar called the Britannia, and it was right next to the theatre, which is always a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> and it was gay on the last Sunday of every month, but only on one side of the bar. <laughs> I just trying to get into this bar was, you know, quite, you know, uh, a, a difficult situation. Because you have the threat of get, getting beaten up, and then once you're in there, you have the threat of the straight side of the bar seeing you in the bar, and then it would be all over town, and you didn't want that. But because it was next to the theatre, I remember uh, every now and again you'd get an, uh, an ageing camp comic or some end of peer act, uh, faded soap star, Frankie Howard's boyfriend, people like that. And they would stand at the bar and they would order these really strange drinks like vodka martinis. And I'd be like, oh my God, and I was so in awe. And then they would talk about this mystical place called Soho. So right from early age I thought, it sounds a fascinating place. It's, it's something like full of criminals and trannies hanging out of every street corner and prostitutes hanging their breasts out the window and I thought I've got to get there so that was my <laughs> and then about and the you got here yeah and then well about the same time I fell in love with uh, Mark Armand and Soft Cell and there was that uh, album Non-Stop Erotic Cabaret which was all filmed uh, and recorded around here so when I first came to London at 19 the first place I came to was Soho and I used to hang outside the Trident Studios on St. Anne's Court, hoping to bump into Mark Armand. <laughs> and he was also living on uh, Brewer Street at the time. So every evening, I would stand outside his flat, just staring upwards, you know, hoping to bump into him. But I've since I've found out he actually didn't live there. He lived a few doors along. So <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wasted about four years of my life there. But yeah, that was my first introduction. So, I mean, you talked about Silver as a village. And of course, it's, you know, it's a, it's a village with its own kind of studs and idiots and celebrities and you mentioned a couple of those sort of people. Now I mean I know Pam. I've you know I've I Pam's had plenty of home coins yeah. out of me and, <laughs> and I'm like, all right Pam, just don't touch me, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know but, but it's it's you know, you must have spending all that time here got to know loads of people like like her. Yes. Well when I was you know, we had this shop and we were only there for about two and a half years and I think we always felt that it was gonna be difficult. And I thought that I had a feeling we wouldn't be there very long. The, the shop has a, a bit of a vibe. Businesses don't seem to last more than two years. And the credit crunch was about to hit. So I thought, I want, I want to look back on this period. And I was really writing it for me so that, you know, in 10, 20 years, when I'm lying in my nursing home down fed, I'd, I'd got something to read about, you know, what we went through. So, because nobody was ever coming in the shop to buy anything, I was just <laughs> sitting by the window writing about the people on the street. But and initially you were writing it as a blog, right? Yeah, it was back on MySpace. MySpace, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But then the, the ground show was across the road, and of course that's all celebrity filled, but those kind of people didn't really interest me, because you know, you pick up Heat magazine for that. I was mm. more interested in the, uh, the bag ladies, the down and outs, the pimps, the, the prostitutes, the hookers, the dandies, the old queens. They were the people that really drew my attention. And again, they do seem, I have to say, like an eternal cast. There's a quality to them that, you know, that they seem historically familiar. I mean, people like people like Pam, she's almost Dickensian in a way, but also Maggie and Sue, yeah. you know, who are the um, who are the madams in the brothel upstairs. Yes, yeah. yeah. Tell us about them. Well, we um, are they still there? I think so. Yeah. Or yeah. head over later. <laughs> <laughs> we we have the grand girls upstairs now. Are they Italian now? Yeah. So they were Lithuanian at this point. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, we had the ground floor when we were living in the basement. So uh, because there were so many girls working up there, um, they were taking a lot of showers because uh, they were going through so many punters. And so we had a lot of leaks into our shop. So a lot of the time, you know, we would have to, I would have to go up, up there and knock on the door. And I, I remember going up there one day, you know, knocking on the door, and somebody said, um, you know, come in. Because, you know, there was all this water pouring in our shop, and, you know, we had expensive clothing, and it was the only stock we had, and we were living, you know, on the bread line. And someone shouted in the, you know, the brothel, come in. So I opened the door, because I was really mad, you know, we're about to lose all our stock. And they actually weren't shouting, come in. They were shouting, I'm coming. <laughs> and there was just this vision of this man on this bed with a woman, woman either side, and quite big girls, you know. We got all, and they were just, you know, bouncing up and down. And one was, like, pulling away. And, um, and the madam said, um, what is it, Clay? Can't you see we're busy? And I said, your, your sink's overflowing again. And she goes, Maggie, did you leave that sink on? And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because uh. <laughs> so, I said, do you mind if I just go and check? So I, you know, <laughs> I went into the shower room with this water all over the floor. And then, you know, I turned it off and I went back to bed and Jorge said, what's the matter about dream? And I said, well, you could say that. Yeah. But then the next day she came downstairs and she said, look, Clay, I'm really sorry. The police are trying to close us down and we don't want any trouble. I'm, I'm really, really sorry about that. And I said, look, it's fine. Just, you know, make sure that shower's turned off. And she said, can we offer you some compensation? Can we offer you some compensation? I said, no, no, it's fine. Honestly. And she said, how about a free bow job on the ass? Which I thought was really neighbourly, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cup of sugar, <laughs> You wouldn't get that in me. Yeah. <laughs> I love this well that when you did your impression of Pam earlier, she sounded just a little bit like Julie Bruchel. So you were talking about the kind of the theatricality of, of, of Sebastian, there's kind of a sort of a, a direct you know, link, isn't there, between him and St. Quentin, as you mentioned earlier, and this kind of tradition of the Silver Dandy. And I, you know, I, I want you to talk a little bit about that and then to tell us if you think that there might be somebody else come along in his, in his place. Well, um, Quentin was always a, a big hero of mine, and of course he was a Soholite. He used to work here, prostitute himself here. He socialised uh, on Old Compton Street. There was a coffee shop called Le Chat Noir, or Black Cat, opposite Compton's, and that was in the scene in Naked Civil Servant where the, the roughs came in and tried to beat them up. Um, and I followed his life for years. In fact, he lived on Beaufort Street and off the Fulham Road, and I, I took to waiting outside his flat, looking up at his flat, even though he'd moved to New York. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, That's either incredibly optimistic or slightly stalkerish, I can't look at yeah. <laughs> But I, I do think he paved the way and for Sebastian. Sebastian was a big... Uh, he, he loved Quentin Christie in, himself. And I think those kind of characters uh, come along every... 40, 50 years, uh, typical English eccentrics that we seem to produce uh, so many of. But uh, I, I don't think there'll be another one quite like... I mean, if, if I'd have written this book and as a book of fiction and described Sebastian, I don't think anyone would have believed that anything anyone like that would have existed. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I can't see anybody following in his footsteps just at the moment. Do you think that's partly to do with the kind of solo that we live in now? I mean, there's a sort of, you know, he, he says to what, uh, partly through this book, he says, you know, I think that 
you know, Soho's going to end up like Covent Garden, he says, is the worst possible fate that he could imagine for Soho. I mean, do you think that, 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 that people like Sebastian need the right environment in which to flourish? Yeah, um, he, for those who know uh, him, uh, he was obviously famous uh, for having sex with a lot of prostitutes, and a lot of them were based here. Uh, and he, he never used to like stepping foot outside of, of Soho uh, because he was accepted here. He was uh, a typical Sohoite, and for the people who l lived here, they loved him. And um, seeing him float down the street with his three-foot pint stovetop hat, uh, hat, nobody would have batted an eyelid. It was only the, the people who come to Soho were like, you know, falling down when they saw him walk down the street. But he loved, of course. Yes, of course. But this was the perfect environment for him. And, you know, he was so upset when the colony went. And uh, they knocked down the brothels on Peter Street. And the big chains start moving in. And I think when Third Space moved in, mm. he said, oh, my God, they're going to have knit your own health food shops here next. And, I, you know, I'm out of here. You know, I'm not going to be here forever. But, you know, I, you know, I was here earlier kind of making sure it was nice for you and I'm looking out the window and I'm like, there's some hookers and some bad boys and there's some guys starting to get mugged and, you know, and I was just like, it's just Soho, it's just the same <laughs> Soho that, you know, it's, that it's, that it's, that it's oh, I mean, it's a bit more polished, but it's, yeah. it's there's something, I wonder, kind of psychogeographically, sort of kind of a ley line or a sewer, perhaps, um, that, that keeps it. Uh, well, everyone keeps saying, oh, the new Soho is this, or it's, it's moved there, it's moved there. But to me, uh, it's... As it's the characters that have walked these streets over the past 50, 100 years. You know, Oscar Wilde dining next door in yeah. Venice, uh, Francis Bacon, Lucian Freud at the Colony, Quentin, Sebastian. And it's in the brickwork, and it's in the footsteps of the people who trod these steps. And you, you can't just transport that overnight to a new area yeah. and say, this is now the new Soho, because these things take decades or centuries to, to have that effect. So I would like to think, I know that Soho goes for a revival every, you know, decade, every uh, 20, 30 years, but I would hope that elements of it still survive. Because Covent Garden's nice, but I don't think we need another one. Yeah. You know, um, this is why we love what, what, Soho. One's enough. Um, <laughs> question here. Um, I remember that build up, and some friends of mine had been invited to go to New York for Sebastian's book launch. And then a few weeks later, saying, Oh, how was it? You know, and they were like, Oh, yeah, it was great. But he couldn't get into the country because he was too honest on yes, his custom, on his um, <coughs> arrival form. This, this is a kind of this is a great bit of the book you might like to tell us about it. So, Sebastian didn't make his own book launch. Why was that? Yes, he turned up at uh, Newark, and there was quite a lot of Sohoites with him. And I think they, you know, they took one look at him with this huge hat, this Edwardian <laughs> dress, painted fingernails, caked in makeup, and they immediately whisked him off into <laughs> a room. Um, and, and of course they Googled him, read about the book, and it made press all over the world. In fact, I mean, he was very disappointed when he got back, but the publicity he got, he was in the Australian Times, the Indian Times, just hardly anyone's ever been turned down from a country because of a book they'd written. So it was actual fact one of the best publicities he, he could have got. Uh, but he was very upset at the time. You know, there was this huge launch planned, and uh, I think.
think he was going to turn up, well, like I said, he was going to turn up and say, you know, I know you all want to fuck me, but you have to wait till I finish reading this book. Right? <laughs> <laughs> One more question. Um, for somebody who hasn't asked a question, preferably. In that case, the question is more like, oh, or yeah. you you, you just touched on this, and I just want to put it in a slightly harsher way. Okay. You just put on it. About a year ago, I went through a month, and I was going on a big bender, and I went through a month, and I was in Soho a lot. It was at 3, 4, 5 in the morning, a lot. drunk out of my mind, and it was the end of about six weeks, so I was really kind of, I had no stab wounds, no venereal disease, and I was kind of saddened by that. <laughs> <laughs> and my question is, you just touched on it, but do we have it? Does, no, does Soho still have it? Does it has it still got it? Or is yeah. it gone? And the gentleman says, has it gone Disney or not? The gentleman says, what did not have been perforated by wounds or viruses? And it's wondering, does Soho still have what it takes um, to, to be to be Soho? Or is it disadvantaged? No, I think if you come to Soho, first of all, in, in the morning, especially Sunday morning, you see a very different Soho. You see the villagers, uh, you see the delivery vans. It's all very quiet, peaceful, it's all the locals and some of the eccentric characters. By the afternoon, the media crowd uh, come along and kind of take over. And then in early evening, it's the uh, hen nights. Um, there's a lot of that around. And drunken people everywhere. But then come about uh, midnight, one in the morning, actually, there's a lot of street girls still out and pimps come out. But unless you're really looking out for it and you're sitting there watching these deals go on, uh, it's probably passing passing you by, but it is all there, but most people don't take the time to look. Um, so um, I would like you to give a huge round of applause, please, to Clayton Littlewood. <laughs> <laughs>